Good morning, church. So good to be here. Um, I want to thank Pastor Steve and the elders for allowing me to come and open God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, why don't we go ahead and open to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the title of this morning's message is Missional Drift. The truth is we all drift from time to time. And when I, when I say we all drift, I mean just that, we all drift. As a matter of fact, why don't you turn to someone around you and say, we all drift, including me. See, we all drift from our mission. Now, I'm not talking about your church's mission. I'm not your pastor. I'm not one of the elders here. I'm not talking about Harvest Rochester in any way. I'm talking about your personal mission. Did you know you actually have a personal mission? As a follower of Christ, we do. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I turned 46, and I'm looking into the crowd. Some of you are like, that's really, really old. And some of you are like, that's not old at all, right? Well, it really isn't about the age. See, um, I used to be very healthy, like really, really healthy. Occasionally, I would get maybe the flu or a cold, maybe once a year. That was it um, until June of this year. And uh, it started off real small. I got bit by a couple of mosquitoes. I thought maybe I got cellulitis. Honestly, I felt like I'm too young to get cellulitis, but that's not really how that works. And I got on a good antibiotic, but after about a two and a half days, it was getting worse. So I went back in, and uh, the doctor was like way more concerned than I was. And I was concerned, and so he admitted me to the hospital. Like, okay. I was a nurse before I became a pastor. That's like no big deal. And I was in the hospital for a week. Probably the worst pain I've ever been in my life. The very first day that I was there, um, the doctor came in and said, this is going to be an interesting case. You never want to be interesting to your doctor, I promise. <laughs> you don't. Like you want to be like, this is so boring. You're like everyone else. That's what you want. The next day, he brought five other colleagues in, and they all said, we have no earthly idea what's going on. And so the, they started drawing blood every single day, and so there was like one day, they drew like 11 tubes of blood. I was like, is that even like policy? Like, that's crazy. So like, I need to like recoup here a little bit before you take some more. Then we started hearing crazy things like ALS, MS, lymphoma, cancer, and, you know, all the scary stuff. But it was just like, we're not really sure it could be. Then one day they came in and they said, okay, we think we know, but we really need to do a biopsy, so in your lymph node, in your chest. And I was like, can I stay awake for that? They're like, no, absolutely not. I'm like, okay. The whole time I'm like in the hospital, I'm like in excruciating pain, and uh, God has a great sense of humor. He has me exactly where he wants. The first day I'm like laying in the bed, I can't go anywhere, I can't do anything. All the nurses and the staff find out I'm a pastor. Now, that's nothing here in Rochester, but in my little neck of the woods, that's like a big deal. So it's like free counseling. I probably should have just turn the light on above my room, 
They're all coming in talking about marriage issues, their parenting, financial issues, and I couldn't make this stuff up. I literally, I got up from my bed and I was laying on that super comfortable chair, you know, the one that turns into a bed? You know the one I'm talking about? I'm laying flat on my back and I remember just asking the nurse, hey, can I get a washcloth? She goes, oh, did you want to freshen up a little bit? I said, no, I need something to soak up the tears because I'm making a puddle behind my neck. And she was like, oh, sure. She walked right back in and she's like, so, my husband, (laughs) God had me right where he wanted me. So the doctors come in and they said, okay, it is what we thought it was. I'm like, okay, what is it? And they said, sarcoidosis. Now, if you know what that is, that's because you work in a hospital for sure. Because it's super rare. Only 5 million people have that. Now, 5 million people seems like a lot. That'd be 5 million people in Rochester. Like, that's a lot. But when you think about 5 million people all over the world, that's like not that many. I'm like, okay, so it's rare. Well, how would, how would I get something like that? And he said, well, we don't know. But we would say that it's more prevalent in women and it's way more prevalent in an African-American culture. It's like, that makes perfect sense why I have it then. So, then he said, all right, so I'm really glad you have a great sense of humor. There is no treatment plan for this. This isn't something we're just going to give you like six pills and it goes away. Sometimes it you get like one episode, um, and it goes away, and you just go into remission. Sometimes it's aggressive. We just don't know what you have. I'm like, okay, well, how will I know? He's like, oh, you'll know. Okay. So on my birthday, I land myself back in the doctor's office where he tells me, for sure, it's aggressive. I was like, what does that mean? He said, well, it means that we're going to have to put you on some pretty heavy medication. Um, and I'm like, what, 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 is, what is that? Like, I'm the guy who's like, I don't want to take the Tylenol. Don't make me take the Tylenol, right? He's like, well, it's a chemo drug. I'm like, chemo drug? Okay. He's like, well, and here's why you should take it. Because we don't want it to go to your brain. We don't want it to go to your heart. And we don't want it to go to your lungs. And I'm like, you're right, we don't, for sure. And he's like, actually, for sure we don't want that, and we also don't want you to go blind. I would agree with all of those things. It's like, okay. This is like crazy stuff. I tell you all that, not so that like all of a sudden you have like sympathy for me, But when you go through something like that, you really start to evaluate, like, what's important? And I don't mean, like, you know, that honey-do list. I'm talking about the stuff that's really, really important, amen? You really start to evaluate those things. So Jesus was asked by a lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus' response was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'll just tell you, 
Um, I love a good deal. How many of you guys like a good deal, right? I love it. Back to school's coming. My wife is always prepping me up, you know, like the, you know, buy one, get one free. Now's the time to get the shoes for the kids, right? Buy one, get one free. Hey, dad, let's go to Dairy Queen. We can get blizzards. Buy one, get one free. Absolutely. And so Jesus gives us like this two for one. The question is, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, the second is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he goes on to say, on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. Now, when I memorized this verse, it was King James. I know when your pastor memorized this verse for sure, it was the King James Version. It says, on these two commandments hangs all the laws and prophets. That, those words, depends and hangs, really teaches us this is like foundational. This isn't like you build one thing or two things. This is like what you build everything on. Loving God and loving other people. It's foundational. And that's why today's message is called Missional Drift. I'm going to focus a little bit just on the latter part because I know your pastor and I know the preaching that comes out of here. I'm sure you've heard tons of messages on loving the Lord your God. But I want to focus a little bit more on the second part, loving other people. And before we do that, why don't we take a moment and pray. Father, we love you. And we're just coming before you. As we've worshipped you in song, let us worship you through your word. As we're turned to John chapter 4, I pray your spirit would be ever-present and moving in our midst, Lord. You know the task that is before me is impossible without you. So make me to decrease so that you would increase. I pray, Lord, that as we leave here, we will come into your presence, tasting and seeing the goodness of the Lord. Help us to understand this importance of loving you and loving other people. Let it not fall on deaf ears, so give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we respond to it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I've got five things for you. Five things from John chapter four. This is gonna go pretty fast. Here's the first thing. If we're gonna love other people, we need to start with this. Love others even when you're exhausted. Love others even when you're exhausted. Verse one says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisee had heard that Jesus was making disciples more, than, more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. See, maybe you're, maybe you're here and you actually can identify with Jesus Christ in this moment. Maybe you're here and people are just complaining about you. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, they're just not happy. They're complaining. The religious people of the day in this time were very unhappy. They were frustrated and they were mad because Jesus was making more disciples than John the Baptist. Now, these religious people, they felt like they had the right to control everything. All the authority, all the influence, all of that was supposed to go through them. Remember, they weren't happy with John the Baptist either. They were the same people that said, by what authority are you doing these things? You have to stop and think about this for a moment. These are the religious leaders of the day. These are the, the pastors, the the, the, shelter, the the shepherds, the overseers. These are the religious people of the day. Should they be happy that disciples are being made and people are getting baptized or should they be frustrated? 
happy, right? Raise your hand if they should be happy. Okay, you're with me. You would think these people would be happy, but they're not. They're fussing, they're complaining. You ever had that happen to you? Even when you've not done anything wrong, they're just fussing, they're complaining. In reality, they should be happy, but they're not. This is what Jesus was dealing with. The complaint wasn't even accurate. He never personally baptized anyone, although that would be really cool, wouldn't it? Who baptized you? Jesus. That's awesome. It's probably why he didn't do it. Jesus is mentally exhausted, but he's not just mentally exhausted. Let's continue on. Verse 3. He left Judea and he departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town from Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied, there it is, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now just to say that he left Judea, right? And he was he, he went to Galilee, I mean, without telling you that's a 70-mile hike isn't really fair. Now, 70 miles, like this journey was like a two- to three-day journey on foot. I, they didn't just jump in a car, right? Now, even if you took a two- to three-day car trip, you're exhausted even when you get there. But they're on foot. Jesus goes through Samaria, which is kind of a no-no, well, circle back to that in a moment. They've been traveling for a while, probably the second day. Jesus stops at the well. It's about noontime. The passage says it's about the sixth hour. That's roughly noon. This is desert climate. They started early. They're going to try to beat the heat. And so Jesus is tired. And so he stops at the well. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that there's going to be a woman that shows up. And he knows this woman is going to need him more than anything. Even though he's tired, he's mentally tired, he's physically tired, he still takes the time to minister to this lady and loved ones. I'm just going to tell you, if we're ever really going to get to this point, we need to be here. We need to learn how to minister to people even when we're exhausted. Because we're always going to be tired. We're always going to be at that point every day. We're going to get to a point where we're just like, I'm so glad it's over. But we have to learn to minister to people effectively, lovingly, if we're ever going to love the Lord our God and love other people. Amen? Man, love others even when we're exhausted. Here's the second thing. Love others that are not like you. Love others that are not like you. Verse 7. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus is thirsty. He's tired. That's why he's showing up at the well. This lady shows up, and there's a couple things you need to know about this. First, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, like, they're rivals. 
they don't get along. This is like if they were going to have a high school football team, that's where you have law enforcement on site before the game starts. For sure, they're going to be fighting, right? Respectable Jewish people would go around. They wouldn't go through Samaria. Jesus is like, no, we have to go through Samaria. The Jewish people considered Samaritans to be half-breeds. That's like really really strong, strong language, strong talk for our culture today. We, we frown on people that talk that way, but the Jewish people had already gotten in trouble in the book of Kings, and they were told that they shouldn't intermarry. And so they were told to separate. That's how the Samaritans came into existence. The Jewish people had married the people of the land, and so now they're separating. They're leaving family. The families are separated. That's why the Samaritans are there. Let's not forget that this is a woman back in Bible times. That's, uh, that's a rough time to be a woman, period. We could talk about equality today, but nothing like equality back then. Very, very different. We're not only going to talk about that, but this lady, we're going to find out this lady's been married and divorced five times. Now, if you live in our culture today, you've been married and divorced five times. What comes natural probably to us is like, you probably shouldn't get married again. Come on, don't leave me up here like I'm the only one that thinks that way. Right? Come on now. But can I tell you, that's why the woman's at the well at noon. She's doing everything she can to avoid everyone. She, she cannot, all these judgy people that think they're better than everyone else, that's why she's completely, she's at this well at noon. No one's supposed to be there. Going and gathering water happened twice a day, in the morning and in the evening, and it was every bit as social as it was just necessity going to get the water. This woman is there for the water, and she's like, that's it. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to deal with anyone. But Jesus knows, and that's why he's there. Our king is reminding us that we need to get out of our comfort zone to minister to people who don't look like us, people who don't talk like us and don't act like us, people that are different from us, amen? We have to, we have to learn to minister to these people. And that's good just to say it, but you should be asking yourself, how? How are we supposed to do that? I don't know. I would say whatever your natural personality is, you need to be looking for the opposite. That'll stretch you for sure. You know that you're like a super duper, like rule following, like you're one of those people that when you go to play a, a board game, you've got to read the instructions first. Maybe you actually need to get involved in jail ministry. That'll stretch you for sure. Maybe you're here and you're a planner. You've had everything planned since you were in high school. Maybe you need to learn to minister to some people that, quite honestly, they're not really sure. Maybe teenage moms or something. Maybe you're here and you're a man and you just need to learn to minister to women of all ages. That'll stretch you. Maybe you're here and you're a boomer. You're a baby boomer. Maybe you're here and 
And maybe you need to learn how to minister to teenagers, whether they're in this church or in your community. Oh, did I just step on someone's toes right there? Right? Darn kids. Kids, teenagers. Right? But funny thing is, I don't care what generation we are, trying to understand teenagers at any generation, good luck. It doesn't make a difference. They were saying the same thing about us. They were saying the same thing. And it's just going to go on and on. But the whole point is we need to really learn how to minister to people who are not like us. People that are different. Here's the third thing. If we're going to learn to love others for the glory of God, then we need to understand this. Number three, loving others leads to real worship. Loving others leads to real worship. Verse 11, and the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? So what, so we all try to make excuses. That's exactly what this lady's doing. She's just making excuses. Well, I mean, I don't have anything to draw with and the water's deep and the, right? But see, if you're ever going to get to real worship, you have to get past all those excuses. Verse 12, it says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and he did as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. See, the truth is, some people think that they are better than everyone else. It's just the truth. There are people out there that feel like they're better than. Well, I mean... I'm not saying I'm awesome. I'm just saying I'm better than him. Well, it could always be worse. I could be her. That's what it sounds like. And so this lady is like, I just, I can't deal with it anymore. Everything that this lady is coming up to, like, I wonder how far away she was. She's trying to avoid everything. And she's getting close to the, and she sees that there's a Jewish man sitting at the well. How far away do you think she was before she said something like, you've got to be kidding me. For real? Today? Come on. Can I catch a break? And so she's trying to head this off at the pass before she doesn't know who she's talking to. All she knows is a Jewish man and here we go, here we go. And she's like, Jacob, our father, gave us the well. Are you better than him? No Jewish man would have been like, absolutely not. Any respectable Jew would have been like, no, no, no. Verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water that, so that I do not, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This, Jesus is talking about spiritual things. This lady has no clue. She thinks that they're talking about water. And she's like, what? Like, I won't ever have to come here again? Give me this water. I don't ever want, I'm so tired of the judgy better than everyone knows better, does it better. I just can't handle any more of it. 
so tired of people turning their back on me, no one caring. People seeing me and turning and looking away. And so Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now, that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. That's a Hebrew for duh. Right? Does your pastor teach you that kind of stuff? It's like a duh moment. It's like, uh, yeah, the one you're with isn't your husband that you've had five, and the guy that you're living with now isn't your husband. She's like, oh, um, I can see that you're a prophet. Duh, for sure. Totally changes this woman's perspective. He now has her attention because she, she's not so like, well, who do you think you are? Kind of like, she's like, wait a minute, I've got a real question. If you're a prophet, I've got a real question. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Hold your place right there. Just kind of like the whole point of God, like I'm choosing Israel to be my chosen people and all like they weren't awesome. He chose them to, turn, to, to make a light to Almighty God. Their whole job was to shine the light on Almighty God. That's one job, that's it. Hey, just so you know, one true living God, there is a creator God, it's Yahweh. He's up there, he's right there, he's real. That's their job. That's what for salvation is from the Jews is talking about. Jesus is kind of like, it's interesting, I'm kind of talking in, like third person here. Verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes... He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus does something like really amazing and interesting. He does two things. He's just like, I really need you to understand that Jesus is Messiah. Like I'm the Messiah. You're waiting for the Messiah and this is me. I'm here right in front of you. See, there can be no real worship. There can be no true worship without Jesus Christ. Can I get an Amen. You just can't. You can't do it. It's impossible. You cannot worship God without, you know, like, I'm just, I'm religious. I have my beliefs. You, you have yours. I have my, no, listen to me. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. If you don't know Jesus, you can't worship God. We can't just make up our own ideas. That's idolatrous. We worship Jesus Christ. He's our king. He's our savior. 
Jesus is like, I'm him. Do you get it? I long for a day. I long for a day that I'm going to be in his presence, that he puts his arm around me. He's just like, you kind of had some things wrong. We're going we're to straighten all those out. I'm like, awesome. Did you know you have some things wrong? Some of you, like, some, like everyone here, like your theology is not like dead on. Jesus is going to be like, oh, let me explain it to you. And he's going to do it in a way we're going to be like, huh. It says it. How did I miss that? Right? Now that you say it that way, it just makes perfect sense. So it's like understanding who Jesus Christ is. And the other thing he does is he says, you're worshiping the wrong thing. Her question is like, do we worship here or do we worship here? And he's like, eh, wrong question, wrong question. You got it all wrong. It's not where you worship. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I cannot encourage you enough to highlight verse 23 in your Bible. Circle it, highlight it, do whatever you, make a little tick mark. It is absolutely foundational for every born again believer in Jesus Christ. This is Jesus himself telling you how you should worship in spirit and truth. I love that. I love how your worship pastor stood up here and said to you, hey, we're dialing it back so that you dial it up. That was awesome. I was like, that's part of my message, right? This whole idea, I love to talk to the people. We're in a super small community, like 7,500 people, really small community. So all the like big sport events are like really big. And so I show up for like the hometown football, you know, and, and so I love it when people are out there. And so whether it's their kid or their grandkid or their niece or nephew, and so they're like, they'll, they'll make the winning touchdown and they're like, ah, that one's mine. I mean, they're just going nuts, man. Woo, woo! They're doing the choo-choo train, right? I love it. I love it. They're so excited. And then what floors me, what floors me is when they walk into the house of the one true living God, they put their hands in their pockets, and then they're like, well, I'm just like, I'm really a reserved person. I'm like, no, you're not. I saw you on Friday losing it, man. Like you did everything but paint your belly blue. But <laughs> come on. No, you're not. Be honest with who you are. Okay? Be honest. There's something wrong if you can get fired up, whether you're watching TV or you're there live and you're going nuts and then you walk into the house of Almighty God and you're like, yeah, like, hmm, that was a nice song. <laughs> like, where's your spirit? That's that spirit that they're talking about. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's your seed of emotions. You should be going crazy. Now, I didn't say you should, like, go up and down the aisles doing the choo-choo train. <laughs> but you should be, like, really passionate about the truths that we're singing. These aren't just some songs that 
our worship pastor just chosen. Like we're singing these truths back to our Savior. This is what we know to be true. These are the promises that we're holding on to. See, loving other people leads to real worship. Here's the next thing. Number four, loving others leads to sharing the gospel. Loving others leads to sharing the gospel. Verse 27, but then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Yeah, I bet they did. No one said to him, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Right, it's Jesus. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This is rhetorical. She already knows this is who it is. They went out of the town and they were coming. They were coming to him. See, Jesus didn't just minister some lady. He knew exactly what kind of lady she was. He knew that her life would be radically transformed. And he knew that she was going to go and do everything that she could to tell as many people as she possibly could. Remember, this was the same lady that's there at the well at noon doing everything she can to avoid people. This is the same lady now that is beating on every door. Hey, hey, you got to come see a man that told me everything. Hey, you got to come. Like, you got to tell me, you got you to see this guy. This guy's changed my life. Could you imagine the people that, like, she's beating on their door, she's trying to get their attention, the people that are, like, turning their nose up at her, the people that are slamming the door in her face, she just keeps beating on everyone. You got to come out. You got to come out. You got to see this guy. So much that, look at verse 39. Let's skip down a little bit. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Man, this lady's serious. She gets as many people, so much their lives are changed, they convince Jesus to stay two more days and even more people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Revival! Revival is breaking out. Did you know sheer statistics teach us that 80% of all Christians will never share the gospel one time with anybody? Sheer statistics, 80% of all believers will never share the gospel with anyone. That's mind-boggling to me. How could you have the greatest information in the history of the world and never share that with anybody? See, that's mind-boggling to me because... I only need to eat a good pizza or have a good steak. I tell everybody. I tell everybody, oh yeah, you got to go to this place. You got to go. Just come with me. You got to go. Like, and no pizza or steak ever changed my life. I remember I was 19 years old when I heard the gospel for the first time. I was so frustrated in my teenage years. Just so frustrated. And I heard the gospel for the first time. I knew, I just knew that's, that was exactly what I needed and that was going to change everything in my life. But I remember thinking, 
Why had no one ever told me this? No one in math class, no one in science class, no one in English class, no one from, no one from the wrestling team or the track team or the soccer team ever told me. Why? Why did, they, why did no one ever tell me? Is it because out of a school out of 2,000 people, you think no one knew Jesus Christ as Lord? Or you think maybe they just didn't tell me? What do you think it is? Probably they just didn't tell me. It's crazy. I mean, the truth is, every last one of us in this room is going to die. It's true. Some of us, maybe sooner than later, unless Jesus comes back, amen? Amen. But until then, right, every one of us is going to experience death. What do you think the loving thing to do is to tell as many people about the gospel, about Jesus Christ as we possibly can? You think that's loving or do you think we should just like let them figure it out for themselves? Right. Now, I didn't say we get angry. I didn't say you get one of those signs, you go out on your lunch break with a bullhorn, and you're like, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Like, don't do that. Don't do that, right? But the loving thing to do for sure is to share Jesus Christ with as many people as we possibly can. And I know someone's here like, yeah, but I just, I just don't know how in the, and you didn't know how to drive a car once upon a time, and you didn't know how to work your smartphone either. But you learn how to do those things. The loving thing to do is to learn how to share the gospel. People still need to hear. I'm not talking about in some aborigine, indigenous people in Africa, for sure, that we need to send someone to go tell them. I'm talking people in Rochester, Minnesota. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. God is still in the life-changing business. They need to know that he still cares, he still loves them, and that's why he was willing to suffer and die on the cross. If we're ever going to really learn how to love other people, we need to learn how to love others and share the gospel. Here's the last thing, number five. Love the laborers working in the harvest. Love the laborers working in the harvest. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, No, my My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into that labor. So let me give you three quick laws of the harvest, and we're just going to close out with this. The first law of the harvest is, 
You need to start living spiritually. Now, I know we're physical beings and we're going to have to take care of physical things, but I'm just telling you, we need to shift a lot of our time and a lot of our energy to living spiritually. We need to stop making excuses and start living spiritually. Someone here needs to hear this statement. You're living in a me-centered world. You need to stop living for you. This me, me, I, I, I have to, but I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and that, that's a you world. You need to stop living in a you world. You're not supposed to be the center of your universe. Jesus Christ is. Jesus is supposed to be the center of your entire world. I'm not saying that we neglect our bodies or that we don't eat healthy. I'm just saying we need to live spiritually. We need to understand there's a war going on right now. Not we need to get ready for war in two months or two years. There's a spiritual war being waged right now. And we need to start to tend to our own souls and the souls of other people. Amen? We need to start living spiritually. Here's the second law of the harvest. The time for action is now. It's now. Not when it's convenient. Not when it's easy. God has people all around you right now that need to hear about him. Not later when it works out for you. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are holding on by a thread and tomorrow may never come for them. We need to do it now. We need to be actively participating now. We need to start loving people the best we possibly can right now. Will we make some mistakes? Yes, we will. Yep. Is it going to be perfect? Nope. It will not be perfect for sure. But listen to me. They should never be able to say we didn't love them. Amen? They should never be able to say that we didn't love them. Here's the third and the last law of the harvest. Understand it's a team effort. It's a team effort. The reality is this, is there's some things that I'm good at that maybe you're not. And there's some things that you're good at that maybe I'm not. We need to learn to work together for the kingdom. The reality is, can I just be transparent with you for a moment? Is it okay? Can I be transparent with you for a moment? The, the truth is, there are days I really don't want to be a pastor. Okay, I'll be a little more honest. There are more days that I don't want to be a pastor than there are days I actually want to be a pastor. Now again, I'm not looking for sympathy. I don't, I don't despise it. I just understand this is what God has for me. I'm just saying like, there's a lot of exhaustion that goes into being a pastor. But the truth is, I'm not the only one that has a career like that. Many of you are in places, you're serving and you're doing things and you're exhausted. And you're just like, I just, I don't even, I don't even know if anyone sees this. Does anyone even appreciate what I do? The answer is yes. God sees. God always sees. And we do appreciate. As God's people, we need to learn to come alongside the servants that are laboring hard for the Lord and encourage them. Not just your pastor, for sure him. Everyone say amen. 
For sure your pastor, but how about your elders? Anybody, anybody around here realize that this might be a tough season for the church? Uh-oh. Right? How about the deacons in the church, the serving? How about your small group leaders? How about the people that are graciously serving right now in the children's ministry and the nursery? How about this? When you pick up your kids today, just say, thanks so much for loving all my kids. While I was being fed spiritually, thank you so much for pouring into them. I just, I just want, I don't want another day going by without me just saying like, I appreciate all of your hard work today. We've got to get better at loving those that labor hard. Not just the pastors, for, for sure that, but all of God's people, all of the laborers in the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom that we're, that we're serving, amen? It's not, it's not mine, it's the Lord's kingdom. And if we're really going to impact it, we have to learn how to love other people for the kingdom of God. We've got to do it even when we're exhausted, we have to learn to love other people that are not like us. We need to learn to lead other people to what real worship is. We need to love other people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to love those that work hard and labor for the kingdom of God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, your word teaches us that this isn't like loving your people isn't just one of those things that we're just supposed to just get better at. The way we learn how to love your people is because you first loved us. That's what your word teaches us. Your word teaches us that we are supposed to draw near to you and you draw near to us. So fill us up, Lord, with your love that we can go out and love other people for your glory. Help us, Lord. Help us to minister effectively and lovingly to people even when we're exhausted, Lord. Help us to show people how much we care and how much we love them even when they don't look like us. Help us, Lord. Help us to share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. Somebody loved us to the point of sharing Jesus with us. Help us to love other people the same way. We complicate things way too much. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like the first. Love other people as yourself. Let us be found faithful, Lord, with this mission, loving you and loving other people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.